Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Jodorowsky, and this week we're discussing Lenny McBride, Warren Birch, and Jennibel DeBoeuf from The Spirit of Lonely Places, a campaign in Beyond the Map World of Darkness series. Uh, and Andrew's going to explain what all of that means in just a second, because he is joining us for the discussion. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. This was uh, a request from you uh that we cover and it is a podcast series that you suggested i listen to and i know there's a just we want to make sure we nail the nuance of the rule systems that are at play in this uh podcast series and everything so i'm going to turn a little bit of time over to you to explain what it is that we're talking about right so this is um i would call it an anthology of actual play podcast recordings it, so that's what what world of darkness so or or beyond the map so world of darkness is a set of role-playing rules like D or pathfinder or a number of other rule sets and so that's what governs the dice rolling and how that leads to success or failure uh hit points damage you know all of uh, skills all that sort of stuff would be in the rule set this podcast beyond the map, a world of darkness adventure is using that, that rule set to tell a, a series of stories with different players as different characters in, in various situations, time periods, and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so this is a particular campaign in that anthology. So there's, uh, I don't know, probably seven or eight different, uh, different sagas that have happened. So this one is spirit of lonely places, which is the you know the first season or saga in the Beyond the Map series. So the Beyond the Map is the umbrella term for these different campaigns, and the, but they are all following a rule set called World of Darkness. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, specifically, when we're talking about this storyline, we are talking about a campaign that was run by Adam Carnival. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, Carnivale. Car- Carnivale. Okay. And these campaigns feature players encountering mystical beings, often beings that have been released by the capitalistic efforts of the Bismarck Oil and Coal Company. That is the big bad, I presume, in most of the Beyond the Map. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's like the Dharma Initiative in Lost. It's just always there causing it's, issues. You keep, you keep looking and then you're like, wait a second. <laughs> right. Uh, the Spirit of Lonely Places was a 14-part campaign that had stories in three different timelines. And by 14 part, I mean, there's 14 podcast episodes. Yeah. About 30 minutes each. Yeah. And, uh, the three different characters are in the Canadian wilderness and they encounter the same immortal hungry mystical creature that can possess and transform people. But their stories are all decades or maybe even a century apart. I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The earliest Uh, one is, is the late 1800s. And then the latest one is, is like 2018. And then there's one that's in the 90s. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, we, and, and so when it's, it, it's not like it bounces in between these characters. It opens up with the first character storyline, finishes that character storyline. Then it tells the next character storyline. There's, I mean, it's kind of nested, but yeah. it's, it's pretty locked in. So there's like part of an episode of framing device for the modern day. Mm-hmm. And then we get a flashback to the nineties. Then we get most of the rest of the modern day episodes 
and then a flashback to the 1800s and then like a finale episode that wraps it all up. Mm -hmm. And Adam Carnavale hosts the series and he plays all the NPCs. Joel Zamet plays Warren Birch. Jackson Bailey plays Lenny McBride and Cass Page plays Genevieve DeBoof. Uh, Andrew, I came to this podcast series because you said you wanted us to do an episode for the Halloween season, the spooky season, mm-hmm. uh, about this podcast series. And so I listened to it while I was camping in a tent. Uh, oh dear. <laughs> which extra, I, extra spooky. I will say I didn't, I, I think I was expecting it to feel spookier. I, uh, maybe, I don't know if you had like set my expectations too high. I, it definitely has a spooky atmosphere. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. say that you should listen to this with children in the room. Uh, yeah, or anything it, like it, that. it's ghost story, <laughs> horror film territory. Yeah. Uh, but I, I never felt creeped out, but I did feel like I was in the right place to be listening to it. Actually. Like, I, I think it actually added to it. It didn't like make it too, too spooky or anything. Yeah. I think, I think it's in like campfire territory, but not keep you up at night territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not like the spookiest of all of them. And, and a lot of the stories, this is one of the spookier ones, but it doesn't have the, the like creepiest moments of, of the whole series. Uh, and so a lot of the time it's, it's spooky adjacent, but it's a, a little more adventure Yeah. And it, um, I, I would say it almost started to feel at times more like a, um, it's not zombie, but it felt like a zombie uh, survival, mm-hmm. uh, you know, campaign or or game. Uh, yeah, there's there's that survival isolation, uh, mm-hmm. loneliness kind of element. It there's and the elements people that you're that with are, are getting getting possessed, uh, you mm-hmm. know, but in a way that almost feels zombie esque, but not quite. Yeah, we we have never played like zombie and horror centric video games. Yeah, but but you can sense that it's like oh, it's a little bit of that vibe because you're a player. Mm-hmm. In our case, we're a listener to a player who's experiencing all of that sort of stuff. How did you come to the podcast? It is part of the Sans Pants Network, which is a, a collection of Australian podcasts. And I've listened to a, a lot of the different series that they put out, uh, including uh, some D&D stuff that is is run by Adam. And so he runs D&D campaigns for them, uh, as well as this stuff. Uh, he does like all of their role playing sort of stuff. Not not a hundred percent of it, but he's he's the main guy for their role playing content. And this was on like it, it was behind a paywall for a long time, but it became available, and it became available while I was in COVID isolation in <laughs> uh, in twenty twenty one. And so it was like I needed entertainment, and I was like, well, this one's this one's newly available they had had i think they had dropped the first episode into another feed as a tease to try and get people to subscribe Mm -hmm. and then uh at some point later on they had released it outright and so whenever it became available i listened to it fairly quickly and then the next series was loading up during that exact same time so they had dropped all of this one and then they were doing like weekly the next series (laughs) And so I was okay. able to like churn into into the next uh, the next chapter. Yeah, and, and I think this would. I, I mean, it worked fine on the binge, uh, but I think it could also, uh, you know, work very well in that initial release pattern of y- you get one chapter a week, um, mm-hmm. and you you kind of have to sit with it and wait to see what happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was. Um, 
I mean, I don't know if I can call it like comfort listening <laughs> during COVID, but it was, it was one of those like, okay, got to get through this period of isolation that's lasting, you know, a week or longer. Yeah. Uh, I think that, yeah, that makes good sense that, you know, when you, like you said, you needed something and uh, you start to, um, you know, th- th- this has the kind of momentum of mm-hmm. a story that is going to chew up time for you. Where it's like, yeah, hey, there's a next. there's a propulsiveness to it where like they have a lot of cliffhangers at the ends of episodes and mm-hmm. it's enticing enough. It's like, oh, well, I, I really want to find out what happens next. Um, yeah. And so it was just it really helped during a period of time where I was really stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we've kind of covered quite a bit of what I had jotted down for trivia just in explaining what this podcast is. Um, and I, I will just say the Spirit of Lonely Places campaign ran from 2020 to 2021. The very next campaign called The Patchwork Man picks up with, like, like there's a carryover from this, yes. you know, the, the season of it to to the next one, you know, with the Bismarck Oil and Coal Company and some trouble in uh, Australia in, instead of the Canadian mm-hmm. uh, wilderness, I believe. But uh, I started that one, but I have not gone back and finished it. But this is one where it's like, oh, you know, when I need something, I might go back and just kind of burn through <laughs> the, the next season or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and especially, you know, in the spooky time of the year, uh, it'd be a good one to have. And generally speaking for this one, they have a different player and different main character mm-hmm. um, each time. There's been a couple of players who came back and did different characters, uh, but not a lot of crossover season to season. It's usually a different environment. There's one that's on a train in, in like the old West. There's one that's in an Arctic research station in like the fifties, like during the cold war. So they play around and it's usually light on the explanation, right? The, the tension and the spookiness is kind of on, like I said, that lost level where Mm -hmm. there's a lot of mystery and it's not really going to get fully explained. Right. Uh, and I, I think there's a, that's a strength and a weakness. Like it's a feature. Uh, it, it definitely feeling like I was just dropped in. Uh, it took me a little while to feel like I found my footing. And I also, because the, the season that we listened to has those three different storylines mm-hmm. when it jumped timelines, I was like caught off guard and was like, what are we circling back? And then I kind of like forgot that we jumped timelines. <laughs> and then time it jumps back. This, and then it jumps back to a, to a, well, and then it goes to another one. I'm like, wait, okay. I see what they're doing. But uh, I, I wish like narratively maybe a little bit more um, connective tissue had been provided mm-hmm. uh, or, or at least uh, guidance as to where the story was going or what kind of story it was that I, that I had. Um, that confusion definitely caught me off guard and not in a way that I think was intended as like a, a positive for the story. Sometimes with stories, there's confusion that is meant to be felt as you're like trying to work out the puzzle. This mm-hmm. one, I just kind of felt a little bit lost for a bit. And I wish there'd been just a little bit more guidance uh, about the jumps. Uh, but really that's like, as far as nits to pick, that's one of my only things. Maybe the only other thing would, I would just say, and this is just an inherent feature that is fairly inevitable to real play, uh, you know, role-playing game podcasts when you have, one person who's running it they have to do the voices of all the npcs and those can sometimes start to run together mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's just nothing you can do about that yeah i think yeah that's a, there's a limitation that you <laughs> yeah. run into um yeah i think i think those are reasonable concerns to have i've listened to it three or four times now um mm-hmm. you know in, oh, yeah. in I, going I, back you, to you, it and then, you were gonna write the summary and i appreciate that yeah and that always requires a you know a fresh listen and so with that in mind it's a lot easier to follow the different mm-hmm. storylines and basically I, I think of them 
it, almost chronologically. And I, I assume that they were actually played chronologically. So even though the, the earliest one, the 1800s is the one that we hear last, I assume I it was played first building the world. I think that's what was played first. And then, and then he filled in these other things because I mean, it is built with these framing devices where like a message is left or, or there's a a document that is accounting for what we're about to see. Mm -hmm. And so you can picture that happening with a, with, with a television series or something. It's almost an epistolary kind of structure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, And I did like, uh, I I think the way, no, when, when you get those, you know, those hooks, I think it worked, uh, well. So again, like it's just a little rub. I'm not trying to say it like Mm -hmm. ruined it for me at all. Well, and, Uh, and it's, it's filtered in a different way because most of Adam is not revealing a lot to the players. And so you're hearing the players like figure out stuff and talk out loud and think out loud mm -hmm. as you go, as they're, you know, playing their character and they may or may not be correct. And so having listened to it for a few times now, it's like, oh, there's things that the players talk about. They're like, okay, I think I figured it out. And in the context of all of them together, you're like, oh, that player did not understand what was going on. And so there's content that it's like, no, it's, 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 you have to listen to it a few times to really grasp that. But there is stuff that if you take it on face value, it'll be confusing because a player assumed something and was not corrected. And also because it's a role-playing game, sometimes the dice didn't let them find out something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, so you there's know, information that's not revealed. Try to get some information and they had a bad role. So they were given, you know, something very vague. And again, like you're saying on a, on a relisted where you have greater context, con- context from these other time periods, maybe mm-hmm. you know what they might have been about to learn, but it was withheld. But the, um, you know, Adam doesn't tell us the listener what they missed. We're just there with, with the player. Right. And there's not like a follow up episode anytime where he starts explaining things further. So it's like, no, you're left with what the players played out, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a, an interesting dynamic and an interesting way of, of dealing with storytelling. Um, it's it's also because of like the asynchronous nature. The players don't know everything that the other players did. So the player in the modern day didn't listen to the other episodes. So we have more information than any of them have. And I think sometimes you get that in novels where you as the reader are supposed to know things that the characters don't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's more or less successful as like a narrative style or uh, element. Or when you're supposed to be like, Oh, I can see how this is going, but the character's not figuring it out. And that's really frustrating. In this case, it's a little less frustrating because it's like, well, but it's a player who's trying to figure it out. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, almost everything is in first person, but it's not because we do have this omniscient narrator who's explaining stuff, and, mm-hmm. you know, to a degree. Uh, but it's also the whims of fate uh, <laughs> with the mm-hmm. die rolls are going to say how much information. So it is kind of a unique uh, narrative experience that uh, it, some of the, the complaints are also strengths of, I think, this kind of emerging world of real play narrative um, yeah where where the you know role-playing game is a fairly you know newish version of gameplay that is now being adapted for consumption of others not just the person playing the game which is you know where it started and and i think a a real strength with the role-playing side of it is adam is very good at descriptively and in in detail responding to the dice roll and giving it a 
okay, well, it was a failure, but not a massive failure. So how bad is that going to be? And what is that going to cause that then carries over into the rest of the play for that character? Or this was successful, but how successful was it? He he kind of has a a range for how that's going to go. And he's mm-hmm. dealing with with the math and everything. But then he becomes descriptive and, and a storyteller with it, yeah. which is as someone who has been in charge of, of role playing, it can be really challenging to do that in a way that feels natural and feels accurate based on the rules. You know, how much damage is this doing to a person and how can that be represented in in physical description? You know, I'm those sure there's also, um, you know, he's built a fairly complex world that is going to have its own mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must be frustrating at times that the dice say, I can't tell you everything that I interwove. <laughs> you know, I can't mm-hmm. like, I've got some really cool connections here. I wish you would look over here and ask questions about this or that you would roll a better dice. So I have to, you know, uh, give you greater insight into what's, what's going on. Um, it, it can be fun to like slowly meet it out, but knowing that this is for the consumption of a, a wider audience, I imagine as a storyteller, you kind of want to show everything that's prepped. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I think he does a good job of, of, giving you the tip of the iceberg often of like, okay, well I'm starting to see some connections, but it's definitely not being laid out for me. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm not being handheld uh, to see these all. Right. And, and that was a, a piece of trivia I wanted to talk about is world of darkness is the, is the rule set, but Adam is writing all of this himself. So all he has is, you know, rules about weaponry and, and the roles and, and stats for the character, but he is making up all the stuff about Bismarck oil and coal. So you can only imagine what kind of notebooks he has with details that then inform what the players interact with, but then the roles dictate what the players actually reveal. And so, you know, there's so much content that's kind of removed from even being accessible to the players yeah, that he must have in order to just smoothly control this world. Yeah. It's, no, like, it, it's, it's a lot of creative effort. Mm-hmm. And, and so and, he is really skilled at it. And I, I think, you know, part of that, uh, the skill that he has is that he doesn't show us at all right like he put in the work and he has it all but he's he's meeting it out as uh the story dictates uh, and not as his story dictates but as the player uh the player's choices and then the dice dictate mm-hmm. all right well let's get into the story uh so our listeners can can see the world that he's built but before we do that we want to thank you for downloading this episode and we especially want to thank any of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming, that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Andrew, you wrote out the summary for this one, so tell us about Beyond the Map. All right. And I acknowledge that Joseph has written so many more summaries than I have, and I think it's a skill that he has greater mastery than I have. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, I, 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 I always thank any guest who who writes the summary because uh, it, it is the most consuming time consuming part of the prep for sure. And let me tell you, this was not summarized on Wikipedia anywhere. No, like this there was a, a this uh, is a niche piece of content. There was a fan wiki that gave me a little bit of information, but it did not summarize the episodes. No, it, it gives you uh, ways character to spell names. the character names <laughs> and uh, and who's 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 playing the characters, which was yep. very useful. Yeah, so bear with me as I 
yeah, took notes during a road trip. 14, <laughs> listening to all of this. 14 episodes of, of a podcast mm-hmm. here. In 2019, Inspector Warren Birch and a team of agents from Project North Star are investigating an incident that took place in the northwestern corner of the Yukon Territory in 1991, near a town called New Carthage and an oil drilling operation run by Bismarck Oil and Coal. Bismarck Oil and Coal has kept the documents related to the incident tightly secured, but the documents have recently become accessible to the investigating authorities. They quickly review the information available to them and find that it is it is a report from Constable Lenny McBride about a prisoner transfer that went wrong. The team from Project Northstar pack into a few cars and begin driving to New Carthage to see what else they can learn. In 1991, Constable Lenny McBride is assigned to assist with bringing a prisoner from the Alaskan border back to Canadian authorities for trial. At a gas station near New Carthage, he meets a woman named Hazel and interacts pleasantly with her dogs, which are more like wolves. He meets with another officer who will be his partner through the prisoner transfer. They get along well. They pick up the prisoner at the border and head towards their destination. The snowfall intensifies. The only meaningful landmark they can see is the oil drill. Suddenly, a man appears in the road. They swerve to miss him and drive off the road into a snowdrift. Lenny blacks out. When Lenny comes to, he sees that the other officer is not in the car, and the prisoner in the back has transformed into a monster with an extra set of legs instead of arms. The prisoner- that was creepy, that description. <laughs> and and he, like, he measures out the description to some extent, where it's like, wait, what, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, the uh, and it took me a second to be able to visualize, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. his, where his hands are, our feet, and the joints are all twisting up to become legs, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the prisoner attacks, evidently trying to eat Lenny. Lenny is able to kill the monster. He begins walking towards the oil drill. As he nears the site, a trucker catches up to him from the road. The truck had run out of gas, and he is also hoping to find shelter at the compound. After they get inside the compound, the trucker begins to complain about hunger. His arms turn into legs, and he attacks Lenny. Lenny is able to kill this monster as well, and he heads to the garage to look for a vehicle. As he explores the garage, wolves enter the building through the door he left open. Lenny sees that there's an upstairs office. The wolves come to attack him. He is able to climb up a vehicle and jump to the railing so he can go to the office. Lenny gets into the office and barricades the door. Inside the office is a Bismarck Oil & Coal employee. The employee explains that a little while ago, some of the other employees started getting hungry. They ate all of the food in the compound and then started attacking other people. He describes one turning into a monster with a grotesquely huge mouth. A large man with a fur coat and carrying a rifle approaches the office door and demands to be let in. Lenny and the employee refuse. The man transforms into a huge hairy monster with antlers and breaks down the door. Lenny and the employee are able to climb out of the office and onto the roof of the building through a skylight. They do not stay together. Lenny gets off of the building and heads to the dock, hoping to get away on a boat. In the area around the boats, he sees a man wandering around saying that he is hungry. The man or monster has no eyes. Lenny is able to sneak away after discovering that the boats don't have any fuel in them. In the middle of the facility, Lenny is shot by the large man with the antlers from a rooftop. Lenny's arm is amputated by the shot. Lenny gets to cover and comes across the officer that he was working with for the prisoner transfer. The officer has a can of gasoline to use in a boat. They work together to get into one of the boats, fill the tank, and begin driving the boat away from the oil drill. They see and hear evidence of many wolves in the facility. As they drive the boat away, the other officer begins to transform into a hungry monster with a huge mouth. Lenny is barely able to jerk the boat around and knock the officer into the water before he is attacked. The officer sinks as his mouth fills with freezing water. Lenny aims his boat to reach the coast miles from the drill and passes out. <laughs> that is that is the end of Lenny McBride's story. Yeah, we, we I mean, we presume he survived because they, we they have mentioned his, his that report. he... 
they mentioned that he died in the early 2000s. So he he survived and retired. Right. And I I just remember knowing that we were reading his report. So I guess he made it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, he, I mean, survived. (laughs) Yes. Back in 2019, Agent Birch and the other officers uh, on his team stop at a gas station. They also meet Hazel and her dog slash wolves. Her elderly father is also there. Hazel tells them that a cult has taken root in New Carthage. The old man attacks two of the agents, injuring them both before he is killed. He has mossy patches on his body. Hazel throws an agent across the room and runs away with the wolves. The agents continue on to New Carthage for their investigation. At the town, the injured agents leave to... So those injured, those agents who have been injured leave so they can report what has been found so far. The remaining team continues to investigate. The town is totally empty, and they definitely find evidence of cult rituals and sacrifices. They head to the drill. As the team approaches the oil drill, their car runs out of gas and the battery dies. They continue on foot. They observe the facility from a distance. They see armed people, or cultists, hurting other people through the facility, evidently as human sacrifices. The agents split up into teams of two. Agent Birch and his partner encounter and kill two of the cultists. Inside the drill building... They see that there is a type of elevator that will take them down inside the drilling well. Near the elevator, they kill a monster with a huge mouth and one with no eyes. Agent Birch sends the other agent to get support and goes down the elevator alone. He sees multiple paths inside the the well, including a tunnel carved into solid ice. There is a closed door at one end of the room near the elevator. A monster with four legs breaks out of this room. Agent Birch is able to kill this one, but he loses consciousness. As he regains consciousness, he is dragged through tunnels into an ice cave slash monster lair. Here he sees the leader of the cult. A giant hairy man with antler comes in and devours the cult leader. Agent Birch prepares to fight the giant monster. Suddenly, several wolves run into the tunnel and attack the antler monster. They are accompanied by Hazel, transformed into a werewolf. Agent Birch sees a few small wooden statues and notices that one of them has writing carved into it. Cut to... (laughs) In 1898, Jennibelle DeBuff arrives at the Bismarck Oil and Coal drill site. She has been sent to investigate an archaeological or anthropological discovery. The drill accessed an ice cave, and there seem to be bodies and small wooden statues frozen into the ice. They need an expert to excavate and remove the bodies. The locals are calling the discovery cursed and are refusing to work at the site. Some locals refer to a northern beast that turns people against each other. Jennibel is escorted to the ice tunnel and to the room where the bodies are discovered. There are five bodies frozen into the ice and two bodies exposed in the cave. There are also five wooden objects. The bodies in the cave seem to be um, the, the bodies that were not frozen in ice seem to be an indigenous person and a Viking. They seem to be from about a thousand years ago, which is a huge discovery <laughs> regarding, <Yes. laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the Viking just hanging out there. Yeah. It's like, what's the Viking doing here? Okay. Uh, Jennibel begins to melt the ice to remove the other bodies. She messes up a lot in the process, bad dice rolls, <laughs> and damages <laughs> the bodies. But she is able to identify some monstrous characteristics. She ends up being a little bit more Indiana Jones archaeologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just like, ah, there's one artifact. We get that and everything around here. That's not important. Mm-hmm. Uh, after getting the bodies prepared to be moved to the tunnels, she inspects the statues. Four of them depict monsters, one with mossy patches, one with four legs, one with a huge mouth, and one without eyes. The fifth wooden object is a simple cylinder. When Jennibel picks it up, she feels a warmth inside it. Suddenly, someone screams, the tunnel goes dark, and Jennibel loses consciousness. There's a lot of, like, hand-wavy losing consciousness. Yeah. Um, that is that is one way that they transition in here. It's like, 
I don't know about that, but it's good for the storytelling. When she wakes up, she discovers that some of the workers who were in the tunnel with her are dead. She climbs out of the drill well and hears wolves howling. As she moves into the facility, a wolf attacks her. She fights with it. During the fight, a whistle calls the wolf away, but Jennibel finishes it off before it can leave. She goes to the mess hall and finds shelter and warmth. All of the food in the hall is gone. She sees the remains of one human body partially devoured. She begins to notice that she feels hungry. She leaves the mess hall and is attacked by a Bismarck oil and coal employee with a huge mouth. She kills him. In another building, she sees evidence of a struggle that involved wolves. Two wolves come and attack her. A giant hairy man with antlers attacks the wolves and eats one of them. She attacks the antler man. He sniffs her and then leaves her alone. She heads back to the mess hall to start a fire. Two men come into the mess hall with weapons. They are both injured. They have killed the blind monster. They look at her skeptically and make her back away. Another employee comes in and says he killed the four-legged monster and the moss monster. Everyone is paranoid and they begin to fight each other. The newest employee kills the two others. Jennibel attacks him. He transforms into the antler monster and fatally injures her. She jumps out of a window to get away. The antler monster leaves the mess hall. Jennibel climbs back into the mess hall. As she warms near the fire, she notices patches of moss on her body. She feels hungry. With whatever time she has left, she carves into the wooden cylinder that a monster spirit came out of the statues and turned people into monsters. Destroy the spirit. In 2019, we're reaching the finale here. Agent Birch reads the note in the wooden cylinder. The wolves are fighting the antler monster. He helps in the fight and asks Hazel how they can kill a monster spirit. Agent Birch sees a body frozen in the ice of the cave. Hazel says there is no way to kill the spirit of the Wendigo. In the fight, all of the wolves are killed before Hazel is able to kill the antler monster. Hazel runs down, the, um, but but she is ultimately able to kill the, the antler monster. I'm realizing the sentence that I wrote had ambiguity. Oh, I realized that mid uh, mid summary more more frequently than I like. Mm-hmm. So monsters dead. All the wolves are dead except Hazel. That's our status quo. Hazel runs down the ice tunnel and drags in the bodies of the other four North Star agents, including those injured earlier. They are unconscious but alive. Agent Birch feels a wave of cold and then a sudden hunger. Hazel explains that werewolves have guarded this place for a long time. Her ancestors trapped the Wendigo spirits in the statues. She freezes people. She freezes people into the tunnels to keep the spirits contained. So she does a different way than than the old way. Uh-huh. Agent Birch pulls out his gun with a plan to kill his agents and himself before they can turn into monsters. But his instincts take over and they stop him as his hunger grows. He sees moss on the skin of one of his agents. Antlers burst from his head. Hazel claws at the tunnel to cause a cave in. Agent Birch calls out to her to do better next time. Epilogue. Heracles Melville, paranormal investigator and handler, visits Hazel's gas station. They talk euphemistically about monsters and something called Blackwatch. Heracles leaves, trusting that Hazel has things under control. The end. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, it's, it's I got to say, your summary made me want to go re-listen to it all. <laughs> I, I listened to it once through, and there were some points of confusion. Mm-hmm. Your summary definitely tied some of those up for me. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's weird because two of the characters do, like, die mm-hmm. <laughs> in their campaign. Yeah. And, and one of them just barely survives. Yeah, and, and almost just implicitly survives. It's not like a, yay, right off into the sunset. Well, yeah, it's like he's missing an arm and, <laughs> and like, this is over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think if we're going to talk about the strengths, the spooky atmosphere definitely permeates this whole thing. So if you're in the mood for that, I do recommend this. And 
I, I think it's stronger than I realized in terms of how tightly the narratives do embed with each other. Uh, again, I listened to it once, uh, almost all in one sitting, you know, at night <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in a tent. Uh, and hearing you, you, you've gone back more than once to listen to it and hearing you summarize it, it tied things together. And I think a re-listen would, would be rewarding. Uh, but the definitely for me, the, like the, the overall best part of this is just the general unease and mm-hmm. uh uh th- that gets woven into into these experiences for these characters it's uh, it, it's like flawlessly i don't know what's going to happen around every corner you know like they they are about to open a door and i don't like it could be a fight it could be something gruesome it could be body horror it could be nothing <laughs> yeah so every every time something's revealed i believe that it could be anything and so it it gives a great a sense of mystery it's almost more mysterious than than horror to some extent yeah. mm-hmm. i mean definitely there are moments of of uh you know traditional horror and, mm-hmm. and you know the body transformations are you know the the body horror kind of thing uh you get uh, some jump scare kind of situations but you also get that kind of uh permeating dread um yeah with uh you know the idea of like the the moss patches you know and yes uh, when uh so so in jennabelle's story there's a point where she asks as as a player how hungry is my character like mm-hmm. hungry enough to eat people <laughs> yeah and and it's like a role like no not not yet it's it's a no but but not like the no of no of course you would never be that hungry it's the it's like no you're not that hungry yeah <laughs> as though Jeez. it's like that is a hunger that is available to you in the future yes uh and in some ways imminent <laughs> yes yeah and so like discovering the massy the mossy patches is it's very much in that like you said zombie territory where mm-hmm. oh no i've been bitten how long before i turn yeah. Um, what What are some of your favorite parts of of this? It's something that you've gone back to multiple times. Is there something maybe mm-hmm. that you 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 like more on the the revisiting it, or is there something that grabbed you from the very beginning? I think the whole section for Lenny McBride is my favorite section. Okay, uh, and uh, that is which so year? that's the 1990s. That's the mm-hmm. prisoner transfer, right? Um, because I feel like that one has so it's it's the earliest whole story. So mm-hmm. I feel like it has the best like, oh, I really don't know what's going on. This could be anything uh, happening. You know, it's got yeah. the most buildup of of that like mystery tension. Like mm-hmm. what is happening? Because then you get to the other ones and you're like, OK, like, yeah, four leg guy. Got it. Yes, there's like more surprises mm-hmm. uh, presented in that. That one does have uh, something that it, it took a little while for my ear to just kind of accept the Australian doing a Canadian accent. <laughs> Um, which I, I know as an American, my Canadian accent is, is just parody. It's mm-hmm. just caricature and it's probably offensive if I were even to try it, but I've never heard an Australian do a Canadian accent. So that was a different experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit, a uh, different ring to it, to, mm-hmm. to it all. Um, I think it also has kind of the most fun character work early on yes. where like the two officers are becoming friends. Mm hmm. And I think, I mean, it, it's been a little while since I listened to it, but my sense was, uh, if, if I'm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think he maybe did the least like out of character talk with the, 
with, with Adam. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think so. Jackson is the other person who's most likely to run games for people. So he's the most in role playing game experience. Like he right. is ready to do voices. He is ready to just play along. And so, yeah, he he was probably doing the least like talking out loud and thinking and the mm-hmm. most in character. We're just improvising. Right, which makes it more of an immersive narrative. Now, mm-hmm. out of character chit chat between a player and uh, whoever's running a game can be a delightful, charming part of real play podcasts. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it just yeah. gave it a different flavor that felt more uh, contained and more uh, present within the world that was being mm-hmm. made uh, and less a game that was being played. And you still hear the dice rolls happening. But they both are able to more fluidly play along with it just because they're both players and and hosts for yeah. games more often. And so, yeah, Jackson is is probably the only other person who's really run games on their network. And so he is ready to, you know, play along and and like go with it and do all of that sort of stuff and stay in character. And I think he also was the only one who didn't need rules explained at any point um, during during the recording. So both both of the other players, there's periods where they kind of step away and they say, "Okay, here's how damage works. And I don't think Jackson needed any of that because I think he was familiar with the rule set. Right. And uh, this style of storytelling, the real play podcasting, it's it to some degree, it's still some of the conventions are being made for, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's so new uh, and people are still kind of experimenting. There are some that end up more edited where you kind of remove all of those moments and you just get the stories somewhere you kind of flow. And a lot of uh, the fan favorite moments are the kind of human to human interaction of, of player and, and game master, not character to character. Uh, you know, you know that that repartee can be part of the plus for some of these series. I've not listened to a ton of them, but I know it is, oh, yeah. um, you know, a pretty large segment uh, uh you know like a, a, there's there's plenty you could go it is a category of podcasting yeah and you there's probably more that have been produced than you could easily listen to in mm-hmm. years at this point uh qualities even if that was your main media consumption like there's just so much that's already been put out there but it's also a fairly new way to transition role-playing game which you know goes back to I want to say 70s and 80s, uh, uh, late 70s. Is that what D&D is starting to? Yeah, I think so. I'd say uh, I'd say out. it's mostly in the 80s. But but the, even then, that it was like, this is a, a form of entertainment for the people in the room. And mm-hmm. that's it. And now we're transitioning to this is a form of entertainment for the people in the room. They want to have fun. And yes, they're going to play off each other. But they also know that this is being consumed by a wider audience. There um, are There are podcasts that do you know, this is actual play podcasts that tour and sell out theaters mm-hmm. for live performance of this. Oh, that is then uh, also recorded for, for a period. The, the most successful Kickstarter was, uh, the, um, Oh, uh, critical roles, uh, mm-hmm. doing an adaptation of their campaigns from the podcast and now into it's an animated, uh, series that's now on Amazon. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that's it's crossed over. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot there. And like you said, there's varying qualities. But I also think it's not like, um, you know, film noir. Where it's like, OK, I, I, I'm watching film noir. I kind of know what all the beats are and what all the expectations are. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's differences. And there was a different feeling for that one that you liked most, the 90s one, uh, because they kind of kept it more in game 
Whereas the one in the 1890s, she definitely broke out and asked some questions out of character, mm-hmm. you know, more more so, which is fine. But but it just gives you a different fe- feeling to the to the game. Yeah. And, and you see different players latch on to different things. So they could have spent more time or less time in different areas. And so based on what a player asked about, Adam's like, yeah, you can you can talk to this character. And yeah. he has to, you know, flesh it out or say what the character's doing. But it also is like, well, that could have totally been ignored. That player didn't could have just moved on. Mm-hmm. And so you and get a, an interesting dynamic with all of that. It is a really interesting style of storytelling um, that is, um, you know, it, it, it there's the uh, storytelling that happens in, in video games where you're able to uh, you know, control, uh, you know, as a, as a player, you know, w- what happens, uh, you know, more and more with more advanced video games, there's mm-hmm. many more options for for how it goes, but there's something that's almost more improvisational, I think for this than even video games. I uh, think, I think part of it is because this doesn't have a reset video games. Like, okay, if you fail, you're going to try again. Right. And, and you might experience something different failing than succeeding and there might be something interesting i mean the the creators of a video game have to animate both scenarios knowing that you may never see one of them mm-hmm. and so there's you know creativity that is generated that may not be consumed by by every player um or by any player in some cases you know there's scenarios that just no it's so the way games get played you know it's possible that no one ever sees something yeah, uh, and I think that's probably uh, again for for the storyteller that's kind of building the world. Um, it's like oh, you know, you make mm-hmm. sure you don't want to look left. that corridor. There's like five rooms on this map that you haven't seen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and in this case, it's it's more permanent, right? Every success or failure is the only way that it's going to go. It you know, it's a it's a video game that only gets played one time. It gets played one time and it's also, um, you, you know, there's this um, interplay of chance, mm-hmm. uh, not just uh, is the character going to go down that car- corridor or that corridor, but what is the dice going to, to make and, uh, possible to happen? And you can hear that in how Adam plays it. Sometimes he's reacting to the dice and he's saying, oh, no, this is bad. And I have to figure out how to make it bad for you in detail. But the dice have decided that it must be bad. And so you can hear him thinking through that, but also there's an element where um, as, as he's doing the roles, he might be disappointed because he was ready to provide the information. He was excited to give the information, but the role says no. Yeah. uh, And I, I, again, it's, it's going to be depending on the quality and uh, who's in charge, you know, how, how much is, going to be fudged about the roles <laughs> um, and uh, how much is the DM going to decide, uh, you know, Oh, you know, a five is going to mean this versus versus maybe it really should be that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think from what my, my sense is uh, in this one, because like you said, there are times where you feel like he wishes he could give more information. Uh, Adam pretty much respected the roles and I don't feel like there was much, I mean, there were so many bad rolls in a row for when she was trying to get this stuff out of the ice. Uh, mm-hmm. that one she is just like, kept screwing it up. Yeah, this is not someone who's who's like, uh, you know, I'm just going to say 16. So it'll be pretty good, uh, you know, but not but not suspiciously good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Well, and I think that's a that one has a lot, maybe the most where it's clear. 
Adam has done some world building that is not going to be revealed. Like Adam knows why the Viking is there. And that is not clearly explained. Even having gone through it a couple of times, like I'm not sure what that means or um, the vehicles keep losing fuel and batteries die. And I don't know what that means, but Adam knows what that means. Yeah. And, and that, uh, you know, the flickering of the car lights and the, and the, and the vehicles dying, it definitely works for the ambiance that he wants within the story. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't really it's, matter why it's so happening. That might be all it is. It's like, or there's something where, you know, like mm-hmm. the hunger, the consuming, is it depleting? Is it? Yeah. You know, but, but I don't know. And that would be something that's like, I'd have to ask Adam, mm-hmm. you know, or he'd have to do some sort of extra interview. And it's like, well, that's not really how they do this one. Um, for the, in terms of characters, do you feel like you got to know any of these characters or is it mostly about the, the feeling and the ambiance? Is it, is this like a vibe story or is this a character driven story? I think it's pretty heavily vibes. I think it would be more interesting in the character aspect to get like a full rundown of all the characteristics on their character sheet. Mm-hmm. So with role-playing games, when you create a character, there's all these notes that go into it and they didn't play all of the elements like they didn't take advantage of every element of the rules for these characters. I think in part because um, it was three smaller stories. So in the next one, you're with one character for the whole run. And so you get a, a greater breadth and, and depth of, Oh, what is going on with this character? But there's character mechanics that we don't see for everybody, but we do see for some of them. So there's, you know, there's a mechanic where, okay, if you, um, if you do something that is considered, you know, like one of your positive attributes, but to your detriment, then you, you like refill some stat. Can you explain that? I, I think the concept is just a little hard yeah. to follow. Uh, in so, the abstract. so I think they, they called it, um, your ambition or I, I know it was with one character. If he exercises ambition to his detriment, then he would restore his willpower, which would allows him to, to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise he's going to pass out. And so he says, okay, well, what can I do here that feeds into ambition? If I say that my character is going to keep going and do this because he wants a promotion, is that ambitious? And Adam says, yeah, that, that counts. You get a, you get to stay awake. Mm-hmm. And, and so some of that internal character motivation becomes uh, significant to the, what is able to happen in terms of plot. Yeah. And, and so it's, you know, you have mechanics in the game that that define character. And you have attributes that are already defined about the character that that the players may be better or worse at exercising mm-hmm. with within their character. And sometimes it's hard to say, oh, is the is the player playing this character in this way because that's what the character's sheet says or because that's how the character wants to play this character? So they you, could, you mean that the, the player wants to. Yeah, yeah. How, how the player wants to do it. You know, there's layers to the decision making for, OK, my character is going to do this because I want them to explore this room. Or am I saying, no, my character is brave. Therefore, they're making a brave decision and not exploring right. the room would be a cowardly decision. So you can think through, you know, how how many layers go into the decision making <laughs> for mm-hmm. what kind of actions are happening. And, and that's not always evident either. You could you can see in some cases someone talking it out and saying, I think my character would do this, but not most cases. Yeah. And that's something that I felt the, the one campaign that I've done with you, uh, which we've met referenced a couple times. Mm-hmm. Like there was, um, 
a couple times where it's like, I don't know that my character would be the first one to go into this corridor, but no one else is going. And clearly for this story, to do, for anything to happen in the story, we're going into this corridor. So mm-hmm. I just walk into the corridor and it's like, okay, yeah. is that what I should be doing right now? I don't know, but also I want to progress <laughs> the story. <laughs> right. And so there's a, a balance to all of that where mm-hmm. you say, okay, am I doing this from a metatextual standpoint? Am I doing this from an intertextual standpoint? You know, like where is yeah. this decision coming from? in in a given situation and and it varies and Mm -hmm. it varies in interactions and it varies in combat you know you can can you can get you can get into the moment in combat where it's like where jennabelle is like shooting at the wolf that is already running away yeah (laughs) and it's like i think she just locked into like i'm gonna win this fight and i think that was more the player than the character even Mm mm-hmm and I think because there's some element of this that is puzzle, right? You know, what is actually going mm-hmm. on here? I'm going to crack it. I think there's also a tension of like, am I the player solving the puzzle that the, the the game master is giving me? Or is my character actually having this insight? Like, what if my character is supposed to like, you know, not be the brightest bulb? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are, are they supposed to solve this? Or, you know, how are we supposed to play that? I think that's a tension that's inherent to role-playing games. Yeah, because uh, statistically <laughs> speaking, like, you could have a character who is so much smarter or so much dumber than you are. Yeah. And so, and, and I think people talk about this for, for role-playing games. Like when it comes to like an intelligence statistic, right. Where it's a knowledge or a comprehension or, or a, an ability to study that one's so tied in with like your ability to play your character that sometimes people debate. It's like, I don't like, I have a hard time making my character so smart because I don't know how to play smarter than I am. Yeah. Or sometimes dumber than, you yeah. know, than I am. Not that, oh, you know, I don't know what it's like to like not solve the puzzle. It's just like, well, I've solved the puzzle. Am I supposed to but, just sit, but, sit here and pretend that I yeah. haven't for the it's sake like, of playing my character correctly? I figured it out as a player, but I rolled and my my character doesn't understand it. So uh-huh. how do I manage that? Yeah. Um. Are there any of the characters that do stand out, though, that you want to make sure we touch on as we're uh, going to be nearing the end of our discussion of of this podcast? Um, I mean, I've talked about Lenny. I think I, I think he he does have like the best character work. There's a, a moment where he's he's cold, but he wants to keep going. So he's like singing the Captain Planet song to himself. <laughs> I do remember that. And it's like that, uh... that is like uh, but but the but Jackson gave his character a reason to do it. He's like, well, it's the nineties. I have a daughter. My daughter watches the show. So that, that song is in my head, but that's also just Jackson knows the captain planet song because he was a nineties kid. Yeah. He's a hero. And so he's, so he gives, you know, a, a rationale for this kid too, for why all of that is going on. And it's like, that's a really fascinating way of like playing the character and using what you know, but putting in a context for what your character would know and why your character would do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that's really good. Um, Warren Birch is pretty straightforward. I think he's the least charactery. I think he gets the the least stuff where he's like, I'm playing a character. I think he is basically, even though he might be doing a voice, I think uh, Joel playing Warren is really just trying to figure it all out. Like he's just right. he's he's the least doing character stuff. I was getting sucked into the the world. Yeah. And so he's like, uh, I I just want to figure it out. And so when he's talking things through, he's like, okay, what's going on here? I think I figured it out. And, and he makes that basically equate to his characters. Mm -hmm. Um, 
sense of stuff. And I think Cass is the most chaotic. <laughs> she's definitely, but in a charming way. <laughs> yes. Um, she's like, I'm here to kind of have a fun time with this. And I've made an Indiana Jones character and I'm kind of goofy about it. And so she's like the least serious about it. Um, and also, which is strange because she almost has the most tragic. Uh, I mean, I, I guess there's no winning timeline really right. <laughs> for this. Yeah. But like, like things are just going so badly for her throughout her, her efforts. And, mm-hmm. and it's not like she's a bad player. She's, she got some really bad roles. And also I imagine, I mean, it, it just feels like there was, her storyline was meant to end in tragedy. Kind yes. Of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, that's basically all the characters. I mean, we have Hazel, but yeah. Hazel doesn't sp- like, we don't spend time talking to really anybody else with any depth. So the three characters are kind of the only characters in, in this campaign. In some of the other campaigns, you do have other characters that are more consistent and, and present. I will say Hazel popping up, uh, Again, I was like, oh, that's a nice touch. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when when we see Hazel in the different timelines. Yeah. And so she's she's only in the last two, but there mm-hmm. there's evidence of the wolves being present. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, oh, there's there's connective stuff going on with, with all of it. Um, but yeah, Hazel, I don't think has enough like characterization, uh, aside from being kind of mean as a monster hunter. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I at mean at the expense of humans, I will do this. So it seems like going through it a couple times it seems like the way hazel handles this is she and the wolves will kill everyone down to five people and then she will bury five people in ice yes and it's like Uh, but those are five people and she's getting rid of anyone else that could host the monsters um she almost felt like um like when a, a favorite like side character showed up in a nineties TV show, like a, a star Trek. Uh, and it's like, Oh, there's a, like a recurring character that shows up like once a season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Oh, Hazel's back. It almost was like that kind of uh, a joy or, or, you know, characters in, in the X files that they, they revisit, uh, but not, not terribly often. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, it's not so much the, uh, like you said, the, like the character, like, I don't know anything about Hazel really. Uh, other than, like you said, some ruthlessness uh, that we, come to learn how ruthless she is uh at the end Mm -hmm. uh but it was just kind of like oh i know that one (laughs) when she showed up yeah and you know and and there's been the breadcrumbs about the wolves and everything well andrew do you have any final thoughts about this uh this series uh let's see hold on let me see if i get the name of it right it is (laughs) uh the spirit of lonely places a beyond the map campaign in a world of darkness series, something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> Close enough. If you're looking for the podcast feed, look for beyond the map, a world of darkness series. And okay. then each of the campaigns is named within that. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any final thoughts about it? I, I really enjoy it. I think it, I think any of them are a pretty good, like Halloween. I think this is maybe the best Halloween listen. Because mm-hmm. it's like dark and snowy and everything. It it feels the most like spooky, campfirey kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and it's got uh I think a well, I think it's just got more of the vibes for spooky season than the others. The others still have like creepy stuff or monsters or other stuff, but a lot of those take place in daylight. And so it's just not the same. Yeah. 
it definitely feels right for that kind of October uh, time of year. Uh, um, and I, uh, I enjoyed it now having had this discussion and also listened to your summary. I want to go re-listen to it. So I'm going to be revisiting uh, this one. I liked it enough on the first time through. I'm like, Oh, there's, there's some solid, interesting stuff here, but now I'm like, oh, I kind of want to dig into it a little bit more and think even a little bit more um, while I'm listening about how the story is being created and because mm-hmm. uh, it is so different from a novel or a, a tv series or a film yeah all right that is going to wrap up this episode thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank scott tofty who composed our theme music thank you again for listening we'll be back next week to discuss the great character in a great story so Sorry. Here oh, he sees. You're gonna have to edit for yourself this time. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs>